Okay, good morning. Uh, morning to everybody in the room here and morning to you guys at home. It's great to be with you. It's uh, my first time of preaching to people in a room for quite a while. So that's excellent. That's really good. And it's great to see you guys. I feel a little bit weird having taken my mask off. So um, I'll get used to wearing a mask, wearing this earphone thing and microphone and my glasses as well. So a little bit challenging. It's interesting to see what we've been looking at today already in worship and some of the words that have been coming through and what Jake has shared and others in terms of what God is doing amongst us as a community in this season. There is this sense of God saying to us, despite our circumstances and our situation, I want you to proclaim my goodness. I want you to know me and know my goodness. Now, we're traveling through this scattered servant series, everyone, everywhere, every day. And today we're going to be looking at our next bit in Philippians, Philippians 1, 19 to 26. So if you have the opportunity to turn to that, bring up your device, whatever it is, then have a look at that. Now what we're going to look at today is where Paul transitions about talking predominantly about his circumstances in chapter 1 to how he's moving, shifting from his circumstances to the circumstances of the church in Philippi. And this is like a transitional passage between the two. Paul talks here and expresses his devotion to Jesus Christ. It is the big thing. It's what he's all about. He's personal life and life experience is orientated upon the person of Jesus. That's it. That's his axis around which everything else rotates and resolves. So much so that later on, he's able to say, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. There is no real difference between living and dying for Paul because Paul knows Jesus so very well that either his present circumstances are caught up in the purposes of God or his eternal destiny and future is with God. So he's able to talk about his circumstances with a completely refreshed, reinvigorated, alive perspective. Now, before we get into Paul in Philippians, I'd like to read a little bit of Paul from his letter to the church in Corinth. We're talking about Paul's devotion to the gospel. So let's explore what this gospel is and what it says and what Paul writes to the churches it basically is. So I've got up on the slide here, there's going to be quite a few words coming up, but I hope you'll follow along with me. This is from the message sort of version of the scriptures and attempt to make the language live in today's sort of conversational language and flow and idiom. It's an opportunity for us to ask Holy Spirit as we read this section of Paul's letter to give us the same joy, the same urgency, the same excitement, the same passion, the same love that Paul is expressing here. The Holy Spirit, come and fill us as we read what Paul writes. Just, just take a moment 
as we present ourselves. This word of God is breathed by Holy Spirit in and through Paul. The Spirit of God operating in Paul to love the churches and express to the churches the good news of Jesus Christ and how they're going to go and spread that out in the world. So we ask, as we read it, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, come, rest in us. Take hold of us with this same passion. Give us eyes to see, insights to understand. Help us renew our minds with your word today. Set our hearts aflame for the love of you and the world around us. Amen. So let's read what Paul writes. He's talking about the backdrop of God's authority, God's rule, his justice on the earth. And he keeps on and he rolls into verses 11 to 14 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Talking about that, he says, that keeps us vigilant. You can be sure it's no light thing to know that we'll all one day stand in that place of judgment before this pure and holy God. That's why we work urgently with everyone we meet to get them ready to face God. God alone knows how well we'll do this, but I hope you'll realise how much and how deeply we care. We're not saying this to make ourselves look good to you. We just thought it would make you feel good, proud even that we're on your side and not just nice to your face as so many people are. If I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and the last word in everything we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focused centre, This good news, this gospel of Jesus Christ. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could be included in his life. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what or have or what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah, we looked at Jesus that way once, and we got it completely wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start and is created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons, explodes. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship for us. He settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with one another. God put the world square, straight with himself through the Messiah, Jesus giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us 
the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making everything new. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. Paul is passionate. He's excited by the message. He sees its value. He sees its present reality. He's excited by sharing it with people. It's the very life and breath of God presented to the community. No longer judging by outward appearance whether people should or shouldn't receive this good news. Because he says, look, I judged Jesus the same way once. I thought he was a blasphemer. I thought he was a false prophet against Israel. I stood there and held the garments of those that stoned Stephen to death because he proclaimed Jesus as the Lord. And then I find that this gracious God encountered me, the worst of all sinners, encountered me and set me on a mission to share this outrageous grace with the rest of the world. Paul's tipped upside down and sideways by this good news, by this revelation of the kindness of God in Christ Jesus, that we might no longer be separated from God by our offence towards him, but instead reconciled, embraced and brought near. Now this is the background, this is the gospel message that we carry in us. And that we are devoted to as a church and a church community and individuals. And Paul is writing to the Philippians and he's saying, look, my circumstances being in prison are furthering this gospel message. And he's actually encouraging others to preach out of envy because they think they're in a better position than me. But the reality is I don't care. Because Christ is preached. And that's life and breath to the dying. And they need to know me. They need to know Jesus. Now there's three things I want us to take away from the Philippians passage that we're going to look at this morning. The first that Paul talks about is that partnership in prayer is conjoined with the enhanced presence of Holy Spirit. And we'll explore that in a moment. The second thing is that Paul wants us to be expectant, to have hope and be open. And the third is that in life and death, it's all about Jesus. So let's have a look at what Paul's saying today in this passage in Philippians. Philippians 19, he starts out, this situation of me being in prison, 
I know it's going to turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labour. Yet what shall I choose? I can't tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is needful for you. Hmm. Now, being confident of this, I know I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Now, Paul starts verse 19, For I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, the Greek puts it in such a way that the sentence basically goes, you pray, I receive Holy Spirit. Now, what Paul's not arguing is that the Spirit of Christ doesn't already live in him. If we go back to other passages of his letters and all the rest, he makes it very clear. And he supports absolutely correctly what Jesus said, which is, I will put my spirit in you and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So what's he talking about? That the Philippians can get together and pray that he would be supplied by the spirit of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this isn't the supply of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is an increased presence of God on me. And I will receive that, says Paul, as you, church, pray for me. That is my expectation. That the presence of God will increase on me for the circumstances I find myself in. And you partner with me in that. There is this absolute correlation between the community praying and Paul being empowered by Holy Spirit. What do we do with that? How do we apply that to our context in our small groups, in our life together, in praying for one another, in praying for the gifts of evangelism or boldness and courage to birth out in the community? Prayer is so important. We cannot neglect it. Paul sees it as an absolute. Here he is in prison. And he's saying, guys, through your prayers to the Father, he will increase his Holy Spirit presence on me that when I stand trial, I will be able to proclaim in as much fullness and authority that he gives me the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want for one another, right? That's what you want for your leaders. That's what you want for us as a community. 
And that's what we pray earnestly for us as the body of Christ here at Community Church. That we would be empowered by Holy Spirit. That there would be an increased measure upon us as we go. And in the going and in the being, we find we are empowered by his love, his grace, the overflow of mercy in us. New Testament, the Acts frequently refer to either the disciples themselves or the community at large being filled with Holy Spirit in specific moments and situations. And invariably we see the empowering presence of God as people step out and declare his goodness, his grace and his mercy, either as individuals or as a community. And so there is that challenge, isn't there, as the priest stood on the edge of the Jordan River. The water's flowing, but what do I do? I need to step and see the waters stop. And it's in the stepping that I see the object of defiance to the gospel cease. It's authority broken and the gospel proclaimed. See, this is where Paul goes on, you see. He talks about the fact that he has this earnest expectation and hope that in nothing will he be ashamed. Now this, this shame attribute is associated because Paul is an Old Testament dude, right? He's, he's got all his training under his teachers, all about the Old Testament. He's rooted and versed in the Old Testament. He's using phrases here in verse 19 from Job 13. He's, he's basically saying, look, here's a situation I'm in and it's not created because of my wrongdoing. Like Job's situation wasn't created by his wrongdoing. But you know what? I will be vindicated. But most importantly, I will not be put to shame. Because if I'm put to shame, then my God is put to shame. And so the shame he's talking about here is that his God will not be shamed through this process of him standing and declaring the goodness of God. The gospel for the nations. And he's got this earnest expectation and hope that burns in him. Now this is the thing. He's, he's saying, guys, pray for me that I may be strengthened and empowered in increasing measure by Holy Spirit. And my earnest expectation is like the tiptoes of the runner at the beginning of a race. It's like waiting on the battlements of a Jewish city during a siege of Rome and waiting for the arrows to come flying over from the Roman legion. There's this anticipation, there's this hovering, there's this excitement, there's this nervousness, there's this tension. I'm expectant of what God is going to do here. I'm not walking into a trial going, well, blow me. You know, this is it, end game, bah, it's all going to go horribly wrong. No, I am going to be empowered by Holy Spirit. I am going to stand there, I'm going to proclaim the goodness of God, I'm going to proclaim the full gospel to an audience that would only have been created if I'd been put on trial. That is an opening for the gospel I'm excited about. And I am excited, I am on tender hooks. I am ready to go with expectation that... When the word of God proceeds, 
it never comes back empty. So I'm excited to go into this trial. I don't know how it's going to end, but I'm in earnest expectation. So what do we do? But we're praying for one another. We're praying that we would have this increased knowledge, this increased presence of Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ on us as we all go into our diverse situations across this region. We're praying that we would be empowered by the presence of God. And as we go, because we know we're praying for one another, we're expectant. Something's going to happen. It can't not happen unless I shut it down. And that's the challenge. Now Paul says this, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Now what he's saying here is this, this word boldness can also be translated as open. Have you ever been in work where you've done an open book transaction with a customer where they can see your profit margins, they can see everything? It's open book, right? Nothing's hidden. That's bold. We've agreed margins. This is what we're doing. You can come and audit. It's all good. Paul's life is like that. He's saying, look, I'm open. You can read me like a book. Looks to you like boldness, but I'm open. I'm open season. Come ask what you want. Come probe. Come inquire. And he wants us to be like that. He's encouraging the church in Philippi to be like that. He's saying, guys, just be open. Be bold. Let people read you. Let them know your life story. Let them know your testimony. Let them know the goodness of God through your life. Allow them to read you like an open book. So be expectant. Have hope that the context you're going in will produce fruit. The word of God coming forth is going to return to God and it's going to be full of return. And be open. Don't close off. And the third thing is this. You see, for Paul, because Jesus was so absolutely central, in his experience, in his lived experience, that death is just gain. There is nothing to be lost for Paul in the act of dying, in the giving of his life. Now this, for us, references the eternal hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And it's that hope that we offer to the rest of the world. This sure foundation, this unmoved certainty of the goodness of God in us and through us. Now Steve Cherry at the beginning of, the, uh, of our gathering today had a word as he was helping set up the uh, audio and uh, other bits and pieces. And he was listening to the worship team practice, get ready for serving us so brilliantly this morning. And they were singing, Jesus, you are Lord of all. And he just felt in his spirit, God say, yeah, I am Lord of all. And he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, in these times you see barriers, COVID, worship, social distancing, isolation, 
masks, etc. But God says, where you see barriers, I see opportunities. Give me your barriers and I'll give you opportunities. I'll make opportunities out of your circumstances. And this is Paul's big message to the church in Philippi. Here's my circumstance. I'm in prison. I'm struggling with this, that and the other. I have uncertainty, but I have absolute certainty in the foundation of Christ in my life. Now, how about you, church, Philippians? Where are you at? And he transitions, he uses this passage to transition the focus from his context to theirs. Right, what are you guys going to do? How are you going to express the authority of the Spirit of Christ in your context? Both in your personal life and in your life as a community. What does that look like? What are you going to do with it? And we'll explore that over the next few weeks. I'd like us just to take a few moments just to pray and ask God, to realign our thinking about our everyday to orientate ourselves around this king who loves us so extravagantly, who gave himself for us and who is wanting us to follow in the footsteps of Paul, to empower one another as, in a, as a community by prayer, to see ourselves receive and be expectant to receive the enhanced presence of Holy Spirit in our lives, as we go and we share with great expectancy about what God's going to do. Do you remember what I said about, you know, when I quoted Paul from 2 Corinthians 5? We don't measure by outwards appearance. We no longer measure others as we used to do because we realised we did that to Jesus and we were completely wrong. So who knows who you're going to meet? What circumstances you'll engage with? Who you'll end up being one metre plus from in the Tesco's queue. Who knows what that looks like, right? But don't measure an outward appearance. Ask Holy Spirit, for such a moment as this, would you fall on me? Give me wisdom. Give me a word of love, a word of encouragement. Give me what you want me to give to this person in front of me. That they too might know the goodness of this Saviour. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are generous and gracious to us. We thank you you empower us by your spirit. And so we pray this morning, Lord God, that you would empower us by the spirit of Jesus, each and every single one of us, to be able to proclaim your goodness, your grace, your kindness, your love, your mercy to this world. Lord God, let us be living representations of your gospel. Let us proclaim your kindness and your goodness to all, irregardless of what they look like. Let us not judge in our spirits, but let us be open season, open book, and let your truth, your mercy and grace flow through us to the world. Empower your people, I pray, for your glory. Amen.